Welcome to Turn a Page, the official comic book club for Nerd Initiative. Each week, the NI Bullpen will be covering the world of comics, talking to creators, deep diving into some fantastic stories, and much more. Now let's hand it over to the team and turn a page. And what is going on, everyone? It is Tuesday night, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and you are tuned into Nerd Initiative Streaming Network for another edition of Turn a Page, the comic book club by Nerd Initiative. What is going on? My name is Ken M. You know me as the host of the ODPH podcast, but I'm also Nerd Initiative's comics editor-in-chief. To my left, your right... Take it away. Coming at you live and direct, straight from a folding chair in the ODPH studios. My name is Off the Cuff Tom, the pop culture connoisseur, Nerd Initiative, Josh, Ken, Lauren, Matt. It's always a pleasure. Absolutely. And joining us, the dynamic duos of drafts and dialogue, bringing you the pop culture knowledge you need to know each and every week. It is Matt and Lauren from Hops Geeks News. Matt, Lauren, what's going on? What's up, guys? How are hey, you? Hey, not much. We're here. That's right. It's a killer Tuesday night. We're ready. It's a killer Tuesday night. Ready to talk some blue Yes. And we have a very special guest joining us because if you are not reading Blue Beetle on DC Comics right now, you are truly missing out on one of the best series in comics, bar none. And there is a very special issue dropping March 5th, number seven, that you absolutely cannot skip next week for New New Comic Book Day. Mm -mm. And we are very fortunate enough to have the writer of that series joining us. You know his work from Blue Beetle, Graduation Day, Rick and Morty, Captain America, Dodge City, Adventure Time, and many, many more. Please welcome to the show the one and only Josh Trujillo. Josh, what is going on? Hey, thanks for having me, everyone. I really appreciate it. Oh, absolutely. Thank you so much for coming through on the show. We are all big fans of Blue Beetle here at the Nerd Initiative Bullpen. The series has been absolutely phenomenal. And like I say, the work that you're doing with Adrian Gutierrez on the art, Will Quintana on the coloring, and one of the most underrated letters in the game right now, Lucas Catoni. You guys are just putting together such a monumental run here with Jaime Reyes and especially a character that is really broken through the past couple of years. I mean, obviously we had the movie come out last year and has had such high profile appearances on the Young well, Justice. First off, he started off in Batman Brave and the Bold. Yep. And and then in Young Justice. What I liked what they did with him in Brave and the Bold was he's kind of a Jubilee type character. So he was your in to feel like you were there in the whole thing. And then the the phenomenal story they had on Young Justice and how they weaved him in. Like it it's you know this is such a great legacy character, uh, but a new spin on a, on a, yeah, it's good. It is. <laughs> I mean, good is putting it mildly. When, when I can't use the words, then I'm yeah, huh? Uh, no, absolutely. Abs- I like the words word. are hard. Words, words are hard. Words are hard because I mean, there are so many adjectives we could use to describe this series. But I mean, going into the series, like, what has been the biggest message? The biggest goal? the biggest challenge with this series. I mean, obviously with Jaime really exploding and you now bring in the story to the comic book readers, like what has been the main theme of this series? Oh man, it kind of, it's a bunch of things, right? Cause Blue Beetle is all about like family and community and legacy. But a big goal of mine was kind of to respect everything that's come before, but I want to do new, new, new. So, you know, he's, uh, he's in a new city, Palmera city. He's out of El Paso for now. Um, but it'll, it'll always be there. And 
We've got new characters like Victoria Cord. We've got Dynastus, our yellow beetle, Nativa, our green beetle, uh, Fadeaway, an update of the classic Hawkman, Fadeaway Man, uh, Gimmicks brought her back from the dead, and new villains like our Blood Scarab, who's really the centerpiece uh, and, and the nightmare that's been haunting our characters from issues one to six. Yeah, it's just like I say, There's you've mixed in so much of the old and the new, and that's one thing that I think has really stuck out about this series because it literally has something for everybody, and especially going into issue number seven, which is going to be a very special issue to get into. But it, it just, for me as a, as a longtime superhero reader, there's so much vintage storytelling here, but it feels so modern. And I mean, I think that's just a testament to you and the team of what you guys are doing. No, I, I appreciate that too. Um, you know, I, I dig into the back issues. Probably I go a little too far sometimes because like our blood scarab is kind of an update of like a 60 year old character that's just been sitting in the long boxes. And so I love to pull into that past. You know, like I said, Blue Beetle's all about legacy. He's the third Blue Beetle after Ted Cord, of course, and Dan Garrett way back in the golden age. And so like, I want to make people feel like Jaime is part of this longer, larger legacy. But also, I don't want to scare away anyone. You don't have to have read 60 years of Blue Beetle comics to get in. You don't even have to have read our, our miniseries Graduation Day. You can jump in if you want, and hopefully you feel like you're getting a complete story. And that goes for issue seven, too. You know, it's the launch of our new arc, but it's pretty self-contained. We wanted to do something that fans of Keith Giffen in particular, that's who we're honoring with issue seven, uh, wanted to make sure that those fans could come in and have a nice experience. And also get flavor for kind of what we've been doing all this. God, it's been three years now, I think. Yeah, it it has. And we we talked, Lauren and I got a chance to talk to you about like graduation day and everything like that. And just how much excitement had built up there. And then you guys were coming back for this this continuous run, you know, the Scarabore and things like that. However, you guys did something really freaking cool with this latest run, and that's there's a there's a Spanish language version available out there. Mm -hmm. So not only do you have, you know, the English version for everybody, but you also have a Spanish version. Whose idea was that? How did that come about to to even be produced? Yeah, so um, a goal of mine, I did a book called Dodge City a while ago, and that had a little bit a little bit of like untranslated Spanish. And I knew that was something I wanted to carry over. You know, when you read a comic and they're in Japan, all the, you know, it's, the, it's everything's in parentheses to kind of let you know that they're speaking a different language. Mm -hmm. And that works most of the time. But I wanted something that felt authentic for the environment that Jaime Reyes grew up in. You know, he's Mexican-American. He lives in a bilingual household. And I wanted to, to reflect that reality. So we do have small moments of characters speaking to each other in Spanish. And I, I was afraid that DC was going to say, no, you never know what the publishers want. And they were so receptive to the idea that they're like, we not only want you to include Spanish in the English edition of the book, but we want to do a full Spanish translation so we can reach out to these fans who maybe knew Jaime Reyes, but there were never any comics in their language for them to read. And also people who were familiar from the movie wanted to get into the character on the ground floor. So it, honestly, it's like a huge thrill. It's incredible to me that like DC let us do it. You know, it's a big risk, but I think it's it's paying off. A lot of people are telling me that they're teaching their kids Spanish and using the book kind of as helping to be a teaching tool or like they're buying it for like their dad who doesn't speak English, but loves superheroes and like stuff like that. And so like 
thank you for everyone, especially the shops that pick up the Spanish language edition. Like, you know, it's certainly the English is the better seller, of course, but like, I think the people we reached with the Spanish language edition, like that makes the difference for me. And that's something I'm really excited about. Oh, without a doubt. I feel like you open yourself up to this whole other group that maybe might not have ever picked up a comic book before, but now it, it's, you know, akin to seeing a new character in like the, the movies, right? It's somebody that they can relate to. And that might be the launching point for them in comic books. And that could, who knows, maybe they could be the next, you know, Jack Kirby or something down the road because they picked up, you know, blue beetle in Spanish. And like, that'd be something that's just really cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, no, I mean, think that's something that just, you know, we talk about the evolution of comics and just how far the readers are evolving and, and they're so smart to pick this up. And this is something, like I say, to bring in an audience that, you know, we, we see just the growth of Jaime Reyes and especially now is just doing a, a risk like this. I mean, it's, 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 you could say it's a risk, but I mean, I think there's just so much reward behind it and especially getting readers into the shop. I think this is such a, just a valuable tool to do. Yeah. I can't thank DC enough for being excited about it. They treat it like it's more, you know, it's not a gimmick. Uh, and so like, I'm, ex I just am, am so grateful that audiences have found it. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I hope we continue to do Spanish editions. I want to do uh, Batman. And, I want them to do Batman and Superman in Spanish. You know what I mean? Oh, like, amazing. I hope this is the beginning of a line of books for them. Oh, yeah. Now, on top I'm honestly a little surprised this isn't the norm, that it's not translated regularly, because so many people speak Spanish. Yeah, I'm going to uh, kind of talking about the Spanish edition. You know, our letterer, uh, uh, Lucas Gattoni, he really, uh, he letters the book in English and in Spanish. He's probably the only letterer I know who does multiple languages. And so that's like really helpful too when we do the translations that we have that authenticity, not just copying and pasting into the book. He has dialogue suggestions or ways to rephrase things. He's really smart about his design sense and also like the way he uses language. Mm. Well, he just took my question. Mm -hmm. <laughs> no i mean it's it's something like i say lucas does such fantastic work like i say even like in graduation day describing the fonts of like the characters and just even the, the little elements that he does in the regular series too like i say it's vastly underrated uh, just the stuff he does but it's your whole creative team is just really elevated the stock of this like i say there's just so many elements when you pick up the blue beetle series it's vintage but yet it's modern it's you know it's energetic it but it's grounded like like I say, adjectives, I can keep going on and on for days. Like that's how impressive this series is. No, thank you so much. Uh, you know, we're so lucky to have, to have kept the team together, our little blue beetle family, you know, from the very first issue all the way to today, you know, that's, that's what the 13 issues that'll have come out with the new one. And like, you know, some comics, they switch creative teams practically halfway through the issue. Yeah. And so they have the same colorist, the same letterer, artist, writer and editor it's a, it really gives us a lot of momentum and we have a shorthand with working with each other that i think kind of shows on the page kind of that ease and that comfort with each other's work right that's got to be so much more efficient too um speaking of the the art and the whole team and everything the art in issue three in the oblivion bar with madame xanadu was like next level absolutely gorgeous and it just flows in such like a fun way. So for a scene like that, that requires almost like a, a little bit extra with the art and like the artist telling more of the story, is that harder to 
explain to the artist and work with the artist to make that come alive and to have your vision put onto the paper properly or how you imagine it? Yeah, for, for that sequence, it was a little tricky. There were two big moments that I wanted to capture in the Oblivion Bar sequence. And so the first one is when he first enters the bar and you get all these, like, you get to see, like, uh, John Constantine and Blue Devil and all these mm. classic magic characters. Yeah, Detective Chimp. So, detect- of course, Detective Chimp. <laughs> yeah. It's a bar. Detective Chimp is there. And so, uh, you know, yeah, giving reference for Adrian. And there are a couple of characters in that sequence that I think no one's actually identified yet. So I keep waiting for that complete list. Um, I'll be right but- back. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, uh, and then the second one is the tarot sequence with Madame Xanadu. You know, we, I did a, re- a real tarot reading because it's you know, tarot, but we, I did a tarot reading with a friend of mine and I basically pretended I was Jaime and asking the same questions that he's asking in the story. Oh, wow. And so he, the cards were drawn and those are the cards that you see in the final version of the story. And it's so funny because those answers that we got from the cards lined up almost exactly with the outline that I had written for all of Scarab War. And so it was kind of like this real eerie, I don't give a lot of, I'm not a very superstitious person, but I really feel like Madame right. Xanadu was reaching mm-hmm. out to me through the page and like telling me that like, this is the right story. It's like destiny. So, and then Adrian just drew the heck out of it. Right. I mean, it's just the most beautiful double page spread I think we've had so far. Yeah, it was gorgeous. I love the level of research that went into that scene doing the Yeah, I'm blown away amazing. by that. That's awesome. Yeah. Okay, I've got Constantine, Inspector, Dead Man, Detective Chimp, Frankenstein's monster, uh, Tracy Thirteen. I can't tell who the blonde is or the one. They're the person with the undercut. There's a character uh, I pulled from the Who's Who. Uh, I think they have our their back facing us, so no one would be able to catch it. But it's the Gay Ghost was their name. They're like a really hokey character from like the fifties or sixties. I'm not even sure they've ever starred in a comic, but they've appeared in the comic. They have now. Yeah, they're in some of the wikis. So I was like, Adrian, can we put in this character? And like, I never in a million years thought he'd find a way to like sneak them. Okay, I I, yeah. So the shape of the the yeah, the pointed the pointed shoulder pads, basically. Oh my. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But who's the one with the undercut? That's the only one I don't know. Oh, I think that's Xanthi from Spirit World. That just so. again, like the level of detail you guys have put into this is absolutely astounding. It's it's really probably one of my favorite Blue Beetle runs that I've had a chance to read, just because you guys obviously so much love and attention goes into this entire to down to like a character from the '60s that has never quite really appeared in a comic. It's that the, those things that for me as a comic book fan, I'm gonna latch onto for sure. Yeah, I love you know I love a deep pull, and I I hope it's it gets people excited about the DC universe. It doesn't make them feel like there's so much they have to know to follow the story. Um, Cause I, you know, I love a cameo. I love a big cast and I love, I, I love finding ways to include like the weird and the wacky elements of DC. That's something that John Rogers and Keith Giffen and Coley Hammer mm-hmm. did so well in their original Jaime Reyes run. It really felt like a, like a, like a Marvel old Marvel team up book in some ways, every issue, you got confronted with a new aspect of the DC universe. And we wanted to capture some of that energy. Right. Well, I think in this day and age when, you know, Rocket Raccoon is now a household name, it's fun to pull those characters that nobody really knows or only a few people do and, and reintroduce them. I think that's, that's what we got to do if we want to move forward and keep making comic book stories 
on the screen. And yeah, there's that saying like every character is someone's favorite, and mm. it's totally true, man. Uh, like uh, putting Blue Devil, I think he's in a few panels in the Oblivion Bar segment of yep. issue three. You know, the Blue Devil fans leapt and jumped out at me, right? Yeah, uh, and they're just like, "Thank you, thank you for remembering Blue Devil." And I'm like, "How could I forget? He was so cool in Shadow Path. Like, it's a no-brainer for me." And I mean, he was even uh, in Justice League Unlimited, and then he's in the new uh, animated film uh, Crisis. Yep. So oh, he's in. I haven't seen that yet. So I'm, I'm yep, excited he, to check he, that he's out. He's in part one. Just make sure you drink a lot of caffeine before you watch it. <laughs> but but but, that, but but it goes to show though. I mean, especially with such a vast universe as DC. I mean, I think a lot of fans that are jumping in now get so used to just seeing the Batman family, the Superman family. They there's so many great characters that are you know lost in the shuffle, so to speak, with DC. And yet, when you do a scene like that with the Oblivion Bar, like that really kind of gets some fans going. Like, who is that? And then makes them go research. And especially like the Who's Who series. I wish they would bring that back. And because that was just such a vital thing for me growing up reading the mm -hmm. going, Oh, who is this character? Cause especially too, we say like, you want to just branch out, especially now with the dawn of DC happening, it's really kind of given that refresh. And that's something I think that you've ran with, with the team too, about just reintroducing everybody to the world of DC. Yeah. That's something these dawn of DC books, I think have been pretty successful in doing. They're giving characters who maybe don't get the spotlight very often or haven't in a minute. So we've got like what Hawkgirl, Cyborg, yeah. Doom Patrol, you know? And so not only them, but they give them new supporting cast and new cities and all this stuff. And so like, you know, going back to the who's who, uh, what's interesting about that is like not only finding obscure characters that maybe haven't been used in a, in a while, but also like the way that these characters are kind of looked at in the who's who, there's a little bit of commentary about like, oh, we consider this character an anarchist. And then you read them today and you're like, Oh, I don't think they're an anarchist. I think they're a hero. You know what I mean? Like it's all this kind of crazy stuff. It's like how much is it, has the world changed since the eighties when they did these awesome who's who collections. I have the, I have the omnibuses and I use, I sure use them. That's for sure. Uh, and so like, I, I love, I love the history of these characters and I love looking at them in a fresh lens. Cause some of these guys haven't been seen in decades. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so speaking of one character that I actually really enjoyed in this that I don't know if I was supposed to. So I saw myself agreeing with and actually really liking Victoria Cord. So did you write her in a more flattering light for this story or am I just getting older and, you know, seeing myself? No, I think that's a, that's a really good question, right? She's about as gray, I think, as a gray area character can get right now. Um, she, you know, she's the villain of the the movie played by Susan Sarandon. And I like that movie, but she is in the movie. She is a chewing the scenery classic oh, villain from the get go, and, yes. and it's a lot of fun to watch her. But we have more room to do something here, and so you know whether she ends up being the maniacal supervillain is yet to be determined in our story. And I kind of like the twists and the turns and really building up that relationship with with Ted Cord, her brother, because you know she didn't exist in the comics until we introduced her. And so there's a lot of history that she's catching up on. And like, what did she think of Dan Garrett? You know, all these kind of questions that we can explore. Uh, and so I, I love writing her mm -hmm. and I think she is, she's so fun. I mean, she, she tears through any scene she's in whenever I'm writing her. Uh, and it's, she, I just think, I just think she's neat. You know what I mean? Like I, yeah. I love her. Uh, <laughs> she's a big part of the book and, and she will be going forward. Well, also she's dealing with teenagers and I guess as a mother who has kids that are teenagers, it's like, 
I can relate to her. I'm relating more to her than anybody <laughs> right. else. Right. She's just not evil. She's annoyed. And I think we can all all feel that yes. way around teenagers. <laughs> <laughs> so oh, go ahead, Matt. No, I was gonna say I, I was I was just gonna say I agree. As somebody who's raising an eight-year-old who decided to turn 13 yesterday, apparently, uh yeah, can <laughs> so agree on that aspect. <laughs> As someone who works in middle management, it's my normal persona. Yeah. <laughs> Anyhow, back to the questions. So obviously with issue seven coming out and this being the beginning of a new arc, um, and we've already you've already touched upon Keith, you know, who has passed away uh, back in October. Um, obviously, for those of you, spoiler, here we go. In issue six, they dropped some temporal stuff. So, I mean, are we going to – how is that temporal – you know, a storyline going to play into any sort of tribute to Keith? Yeah. So, you know, Keith Giffen was this huge creator who had his fingerprints all over the DC universe. I love his Justice League International stuff in particular. Mm -hmm. oh, that was God, a big yeah. inspiration for this book. And that's a big inspiration for me as a writer in general. It really captured big superhero action and, and heart and a lot of humor. And I think yeah. those are kind of things in short supply these days in, in mainstream comics. Mm -hmm. And so... I love all that that old stuff, but also he did incredible runs on um, Legion of Superheroes in the 80s, or he created characters like Ambush Bug or Lobo, yeah. uh, and weird characters like the Heckler or Joni DC. And uh, you know, and then also he was kind of the mastermind, the one who shepherded 52 from beginning to end, doing the page breakdowns and really contributing a lot of story. And so like I just he his shadow looms large over the whole universe. And now, you know, everyone's getting excited about. Uh, James Gunn starting to use some of these characters that he wrote so famously, like Guy Gardner is going to pop up apparently in the Superman movie or yeah. Booster Gold. And so like, you know, I think people really need to look at Keith and be like, oh, he's one of the founding fathers. You know, he's like, he's one of the big ones. And I hope that people who will read our book, you'll see not just Booster Gold and Jaime in the beginning or in the present, but you'll also see the Justice League International era, you'll see some of the Legion, you'll see, and everything in between, because I wanted to, to kind of share my excitement and my passion for his writing with, with the reader. Now, having that said, is there some leaguer or whatnot that you're dropping in just for you, for your sake? Oh, always, always. In the Keith Giffen issue in particular, um, you know, there are some characters that Keith created for the Legion that had, don't exist in continuity anymore because of like all the crises and stuff. So there's one in particular, Laurel Gand, uh, Andromeda. And Ooh. she, I just, I think she's awesome. And so I, I'm, I, she appears in the issue, in a, in a, in a manner. And so I was shocked that DC even let me use characters like that who don't exist, but that just shows like, they, they gave me the whole kitchen sink. We have five artists on this issue. We go, every era has a different creative, like has a different uh, artist and a different colorist. And so like, it really feels like a huge jam packed, like tribute to this guy. And so, you know, and uh, Laurel Gann's just the beginning of it. We get, we, I'm not gonna spoil how weird we get, but if you love the wacky Keith Giffen, like you're gonna be very satisfied with kind of who's, who's pulling the strings in the background. So saying, okay. saying wacky, I mean, that, that moves right into one of our favorite, uh, superheroes. Now, if you don't know, a few months ago, uh, we did an episode about best friends day, right? And for every mm -hmm. blue beetle, there's a booster gold. So how is booster our favorite janitor for, from the future, 
going to show up in this. Yeah, I really love the dynamic between Jaime and Booster because Booster feels like like an uncle, but not necessarily like a good uncle. You know what I mean? Like he's the one who would give you he's bad advice or like he's a drunkle. He's a drunk. I think that's the best way to say it. he's a drunkle. Uh, he's not Jaime's going through it after issue six. He's kind of facing one of the biggest cr internal crises he's ever had. And his relationship with, with the scarab is really changed after issue six. Um, and the person he needs most in the world is Ted Kord, but Ted's not around. He's stuck with Booster. And so that's kind of what's happening in issue seven. It's like this kind of unlikely duo are teaming up to save Ted Kord and they have to go through the whole multiverse to get him. Hmm. Aha. 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 The multiverse. I I love a good story. And kind of like with, you know, Ted Cord and Michael Carter, speaking of Ted Cord, how they are kind of just iconic duos out there. And we get a little bit of Booster Gold, see him. And uh, who would you say or who do you think is Jaime's personal like Booster Gold in the DC? Oh, man. Um, that's a really good question because he's had some cool pairings. Yeah. I, you know, in the. Um, in the, when he was on the Titans, Red Devil stands out as maybe like his bestie in, in continuity. Okay. Uh, but then Red Devil died. I think he's he's back now, but we haven't gotten there yet. Uh, and so, you know, just he's like dead, that. but he's back now. So. He, got, he got better. Uh, it's they, DC. They, they saved him. They saved him in Flash. Um, and so, you know, I love characters like that. But I, I, you know, Jaime, his best friends are Paco and Brenda, who were just kind of normie humans and i think that really grounds him and makes him like a special character makes him unique is that he has this like very human supporting cast around him even though he's like has the biggest weapon the most powerful artifact in the dcu on his back he still has his childhood friends that you know make fun of him all the time and really rib him i do see so you hit on that perfectly like ground him because it's very easy to everybody, every kind of DC hero, I feel like has that because Batman has an Alfred who's just always going to mm -hmm. keep it real with him. Right. You know, Superman has a Lois flash has a, you know, Iris and that the lightning rod is something I kind of come to as a big flash fan. So it is good. It's almost essential having these heroes have these normal kind of friends to, to ground them. And I think their relationship, the three of them, uh, it's, it never feels as though Jaime is any better than them at all. And especially the way that you guys, do it it's like no we are just humans man we're all people you just happen to have cool powers yeah they really right and they oh, provide... please go on oh i was just gonna say and they provide perspective yeah definitely they're a window to the new city palmera city and you know they get to react to how jaime has changed and you know they're they're at that age like post high school right and so like they're going through these big personal changes as well and like Jaime is always going through big changes because his life is chaos because he's a superhero. And so that's kind of, that's interesting to bounce back and forth with. And like, you know, um, Paco may have a new love interest if you've, if you've been reading the book and mm -hmm. Brenda has a new job, which she may not be so happy with. And so mm -hmm. it's fun to give those characters some fresh stories because a lot of the time they can fade in the background. Yeah, that's just, that's yeah. just so, sorry, go ahead, Ken. No, no, I was going to say, that's the one thing too, especially with a supporting cast like that, you know, to give everybody their own side stories and really that kind of reflects off, you know, Jaime where he can go with his, his playbook too. Cause like I say, he's still a relatively new hero, but with those side stories that just kind of keep him grounded, it really kind of, you know, gives a lot of leeway to take him in a lot of different directions. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and he has, you know, he has all the potential in the world, right? He can be the, he's, he, I always say that Jaime thinks he's wants to be Batman, but he actually is Superman. 
Yeah. And so Ooh. as he grows up, I think he's going to start to figure that out. But like he needs the people in his life to kind of keep him, you know, keep it real, whether it be Paco and Brenda or his Tia's, Gloria and Marisol, who we introduced in the book, or even the other the other Beatles, uh, Jamara and Roma. Uh, you know, they have this heroic destiny ahead of them and they're kind of they have different opinions about it and they need Jaime to really center them. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it's like I say, he's just yeah. he's he's growing in his role and like it's it's great as a reader just watch him go from here. And then, you know, obviously after issue number seven, we're kicking off the new arc. What can you tease us about what's coming? Yeah, so um, seven really kick the seven really kicks off what's about to happen and the following arc. Uh, we're introducing a new character by the name of Pinnacle. Uh, Pinnacle is Palmera City's latest, greatest superhero. And this is Victoria Cord's big play. And so we're going to see why she's doing it and what she's doing it for. And so there's obviously going to be some tension there. And so I don't want to go into too many details about that. But we're going to start, we're going to talk a lot more about what happened at the end of Scarab War. We're going to talk a lot about how that event really filters out throughout the whole cast and affects not just Jaime's relationship with the Scarab, but Jaime's relationship with Nativa, our green beetle, Dynastus, our yellow beetle, and uh, really the Paco, Brenda, the, the, the Tia's, even Booster. Everyone has some, has some thoughts about how Jaime may have changed as a result of the Scarab War. Hmm. So are there going to be any inner turmoils that we can kind of expect at this point that he's going to have to navigate even further? Oh, it's it's lots of angst, man, from beginning to end. Uh, I, you know, I love the character because I just kick him around as much as I can. But <laughs> <laughs> you will never be happy. As long as you're the main character, you can never be happy. That's the rules, though. A lot That's of people so don't true, realize though. nobody gets a happy ending and you can never truly be happy. Anytime a character starts to be happy, the other shoe is going to drop. It's That's so it. funny because he pops up in other DC books from you know time and again, and yeah. so he was in the um, uh, the Santa Claus Batman team up. Was it? Yeah, he was. Yeah. Yes. yeah. Yes. And Silent so Night. you know he's so happy there, and I was just like, "That's not my high man. My like, man, I clearly didn't write this. I don't know who this one is, but the <laughs> multiverse things must have happened here. Exactly. Well, going off that, I mean, it has been announced that there is going to be a big crossover coming up. Absolute power. Uh, in 2024, should we expect to see Jaime involved in that? Uh, I would say, how do I say this? Watch your uh, NDA. Yes, I, yeah, <laughs> I don't want to get you. No, I, I'm gonna, you know, I'll say that like our book, Palmera City, feels a world away from Metropolis and Gotham most of the time. Um, like I, I say that like if Sinestro has a new belt buckle, we don't talk about it. Like it's not our fight. You know, we want to make our book kind of self-contained for the readers who came in through the movie or through the cartoons or the Injustice video games. He has a big role in that. Um, and so, like, uh, I think you'll start to see some of the effects of that maybe filter in the book or maybe the buildup towards that. Because, uh, you know, what what Amanda Waller is planning is very much in line with uh, some of our other characters. So uh, there's there's always the potential for a crossover. Now, yeah. speaking of potential, we've got, I'm, I'm just going to say, because everybody knows my background, there's a red one, there's a blue one, there's a yellow one, mm -hmm. there's a green one. Are we getting Mighty Morphin Beetle Rangers or something going on here? I mean, are we getting some more colors? Uh, no, <laughs> we're, 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 we're putting down the, the, the markers for now, and uh, <laughs> we're building out a new, uh, some, some new characters and bringing out some old characters. Um, I bring one back in, um, 
issue eight, uh, who's a classic Ted Cord villain from the Len Wein run, and history just forgot about him. You know what I mean? Sometimes, sometimes these guys slip through the cracks. And so he's coming back in an interesting way and kind of, like I was saying, you look at the who's who and one day you're a villain and then you, you, the character reappears and you're like, maybe you weren't so bad, actually. Maybe your whole, like Poison Ivy, you know, when Poison Ivy was introduced, she was the worst mm -hmm. thing, evil imaginable. But as time goes on, we kind of reimagine like, well, that's, she's kind of fighting for nature. She's, She's not so bad. A point exactly. As we come to the Great Climate Wars. Maybe Poison Ivy was onto something. Yeah. So I found one of those. Maybe. So uh, I'm excited about that. Now tying through the whole legacy, and obviously, uh, you know, legato it does mean legacy. If I'm if I did my Google Translate mm -hmm. properly, uh, I've noticed that there's a few little nods. Like there's Dan Garrett's you know brow here, and then the chest armor itself so it looks a little bit more like Ted Cords. Uh, a bit the the zigzag there across the chest. Um, what is it we can see down the road? Like, is is this legato armor is going to become the number one armor? Is that going to be the go to, or is this going to be that you know, hey, let's uh, oh, we're at the the crux of the story now. We just got to jump to the next you know power up to just take care of the villain. Yeah, at the beginning of the next arc, we kind of answer some of these lingering questions about the legato armor and what it means. And so, you know, it's it's great power, but it comes at a cost. And I think it's an unexpected one for Jaime. So, you know, it's he was able to achieve it, uh, reach that that level of power, you know, go, get all Dragon Ball Z on you. But he was able to reach that Super Saiyan mode because uh, his unity with Kajida. And after the events of the Blood Scarab arc, you know, that's that's real in real trouble. And so Jaime is looking for answers and the Horizon have have some answers, but they're not necessarily the ones he wanted. Hmm. And Adrian I'm, just killed I'm, that design. I can't say enough nice things about how the Legato armor turned out. The little touches to Ted and Dan, the little, yes, yeah. that's, that's all I, that's all Adrian. I was going to say, how many times did that go back and forth with the powers that be? Oh, he, he nailed it in like one, basically. I, I would agree with that. Oh yeah. I mean, he's, he's, he's a brilliant eye for design and the blood scarab design he came up with in like an afternoon. Wow. Mm. That's impressive. Man, like that is. Yeah. I just, <laughs> Some people just I, just, I wish, man, man. like crazy. I'm over here, like, man, my parents must think I'm such a disappointment. And then you just have someone who could just bang out something like that in an afternoon. And then the stories that you guys write, I'm always in awe, like always in awe. Was there anything that like you didn't give him direction on and that he just like, or maybe you did. And he came back with something from the opposite that you're like, Dude, this this idea is a thousand times like way better. Oh yeah, like I think, um, you know, I'm uh, when we started off, I think there was us kind of like not being sure what the other one was like, what what the other one was like, and so uh, we didn't want to step on each other's toes. So I think he followed my scripts very much to the letter. But as we build this rapport up, it's like, oh, I have actually I have an idea on this. I have a twist on this. Maybe if, the, if we move the camera this direction, or maybe we focus on this character instead of that. Um, for issue six, we have a big fight scene between, it's a double page spread between the Blood Scarab and Jaime. And, you know, I had some notes in that about like, I want it to feel like this. I need to hit this story beat. And he came out with, oh gosh, there must be 30 panels on that double page spread. And it yeah, builds this yeah. intensity. I was, I was kind of, uh, I wanted something to feel a little bit like the death of Superman. If you remember that way back when, mm -hmm. where the panel just got bigger and bigger and yep. bigger and this doom kind of builds up until finally 
Doomsday, you know, goes in for the kill. And so it's definitely a nod to that. You can tell I'm a 90s kid because I'm referencing Doomsday. And everyone asks me who I want in the book. And I know everyone asks me who I want in the book. And I'm like, Bane and Doomsday. So I'm like the most 90s kid you can get. I think I think to a level we all kind of are, man. The 90s, like, the 90s were like last year still in my head. It's 10 yeah, years I, ago, I, right? I swear to you it was, man. I promise you we were just watching... Uh, big bad Beetleborgs like last week on Saturday morning. Oh yeah. my God. You have never seen that. I know everyone makes the comparison. I've never, I don't think I've ever seen it. Maybe as a kid, I saw it like once or twice. It got like incepted in my brain, but I'm, I'm afraid oh, to watch it now. It's rough. Like uh, <laughs> my son, we went back and we're watching some of it on Netflix. Cause I don't know if it's still there, but it's a, uh, there's a reason why power Rangers was vastly superior. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I can go in a oh, whole he yeah. really likes I think Power Rangers. But trust me, I could go on a whole <laughs> diatribe just on Big Bad Beetleborgs, considering that it's also Tokusatsu, but it's under the other uh, guise of Metal Heroes. But seriously, this is not where we're going because we're talking Blue Beetle. Well, because the if I were if I understand it, Big Bad Beetleborgs in the U.S. is actually like two different shows that kind of got mashed together, and it so was, it's, yes. it's like this weird like two-headed monster. And so, oh. like Adrian is a huge common writer fan, and you can once you hear that and you see the book, you're like, well, obviously he's a common writer fan. <laughs> and so, like you know, he pulls oh from those God. references and deep cuts like really well. Um, I don't know the names of some of the series that he like pulled direct inspiration from, but he's Blood always Scarab, like, Blood Scarab's mm-hmm. common writer Kuga. I don't know. I uh, no, uh, no I comment because I simply don't know. <laughs> I said, sure, yes. <laughs> I'm gonna go back and and look. At, yeah, it's common writer Kuga. Uh, well, just yeah. Just I, I believe t- you. Just yeah. let me know. My literal license plate says Megasword. Do you want to go? No, Tom just had a meltdown. I think the guy for Beth. Yeah, you you had a mini meltdown there. We get a lot of. You know, people are like, oh, it reads like a manga sometimes. And I'm like, that's the highest compliment you can give us because Adrian's style is so unique. You know, he's a Spanish artist. He lives in Spain and he pulls from these manga references, these American comics. And he finds something that there's, our book doesn't look like anything on the stands. And we pull, we pull our inspiration from all over the DC universe, but also, you know, some anime and some manga. And you'll see in our pinnacle arc, um, the second you see our cover for issue 10, you'll know exactly what direction we're going in. If you're if you're an anime fan, I definitely think that's a that's what works for you guys too. Because I feel like there's some people that are not some people, but like sometimes it gets almost too formulaic. Whereas you guys are like, man, we're pulling from anything the '90s. We're pulling from anime, and to me personally, I, I think that that's what's kind of working for you guys. And I think that's why a lot of us sitting here today are pretty invested mm-hmm. because it is outside the box. Anytime I see something go off the wall outside the box, I'm like, I'm just drawn to it. And, you know, for example, here, and you guys aren't afraid to just like, hey, you're throwing in characters like we're going to get them in there. For example, this cover, it's, you know, it's amazing. And kind of I know we talked about the movie a little bit, too. Has that played into what you guys are doing in the comic book at all? Have you has you pulled ideas from there or have you seen like a boost in Blue Beetle action coming from that movie? Oh, man, you know, um, there is that that hashtag like Blue Beetle Battalion that was floating around when the movie was oh, yeah, coming yeah, out. Yeah. It was kind of a, because, you know, there was a what there's a, a double strike going on, writers and actors, so they couldn't promote the movie with the, mm-hmm. the cast and like they normally could. And so it was up to like these diehard Blue Beetle fans to really raise awareness for this movie and show some excitement about it. And so they've really been a big champion of the book from the very beginning. They're not just supporting the movie, they're supporting us. And even when um 
you know, the uh, the movie's writers and actors, Zolo, the lead, the, the lead in the movie, um, you know, when he couldn't write, couldn't work and couldn't promote the movie, he'd still promote our book. And he'd, he'd send me DMs and on, on Twitter or whatever. And just like, I just read issue two. I can't believe you did that to Ted or whatever it is. And so like, that was cool. Yeah. So we definitely like ride the wave for that excitement. And like, obviously Victoria court didn't exist until the movie writers came up with her, but we're the ones that get to introduce that same thing for Palmera city. Maybe there's one more element from the movies we might fold into the book. I'll say, but um, you know, Jaime, like, Injustice, Brave and the Bold, uh, Justice—you know every every iteration. This I want us, this to be a homecoming for all the things we love about Jaime. Are we getting the taco? I, Are we just getting the mm. truck? Oh my God! <laughs> no, so um, you know uh, the the Tias, Gloria and Marisol—they run a they run a drive-in, a diner in Palmera City. That's inspired by my um, my grandma who uh, runs a, a restaurant in, in San Antonio and also one in Los Angeles or well, Orange County. And so, you know, that's named after her husband, but I named the diner in the comic after her because she, oh, she doesn't oh, nice. <laughs> Thank you, Abuela. <laughs> See, I need, to, I need to know because I go to San Antonio sometimes for work, so now I'm going to have to, like, seek out this restaurant. Oh, that's yeah. Amazing. I mean, I'm here to promote the book, but I'll promote uh, Ray's Drive-In. It's it's awesome. It's so good. So go to Ray's Drive-In if you're in San Antonio. Ray's Drive-In. It's going on the list. <laughs> you just made the list. You just made the list. and Oh, yeah. Writing that one down. You know, to throw... Ray. Oh God, So speaking of... No, go ahead, Lauren. Oh, go ahead. I, I just had one more question about the movie. You said DC basically gave you, like, the rights to do what you wanted, that they were very great with this. With the movie, were there any things they told you not to do or that they wanted you to do? Or did they just trust that you knew what you were doing with this character? Well, I like to think they trust me, but we have a really good editor that I'm sure would have like smacked me in the back of the head if I had crossed a line. But like, you know, I didn't know, Adrian didn't know what the movie was about necessarily. Like we could kind of figure it out. We knew Victoria, Susan Sarandon's the big actress in the movie. So she's the villain. When you're in a superhero movie, the best actor is often the villain. So you just have to assume. But like that's that's the trick. I'm sorry to spoil the next ten years of of movies for you. But <laughs> the best actor is always the villain. And so I was like, okay, so Victoria Court's bad. Palmer City. They told us a little bit about that. And beyond beyond that, we didn't know what was going on. We didn't know about Uncle Ray. We didn't uh, we didn't know about uh, Vic, we didn't know about Jenny Court at all. That was a huge surprise to me. We didn't know that Ted was going to have a daughter. Um, mm -hmm. And so we kind of had to guess what we wanted, but mostly we were just like, let's make it our own. Let's make sure it fits in the DC comics universe as best it can. And also like, we have to build out a city in the DC universe. We, you know, I hope that Palmera sticks around like, like Gotham or Metropolis or Coast City, maybe not Coast City because it gets blown up a lot, but like other cities, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I got a feeling it will, especially with how vibrant and beautiful, um, I mean, Sure, the movie did some cool stuff, but I think the way that you guys have really kind of shown in and made it feel like it's its own living entity, mm -hmm. I got a feeling that this is going to become a staple city here for uh, quite some time. Yeah, I hope so. And, uh, you know, in the movie, uh, Palmera City is very clearly kind of a Miami because the director oh, and yeah. Hell Miguel Soto, you know, he he grew up in those communities and I didn't want to take Jaime out of Texas. So as far as I'm concerned, uh Palmera City is in Texas. It's on it's on the east coast of Texas. It's it's kind of like between Houston and Corpus Christi. Uh, 
And so I, I look at, I was looking at the maps the other day. I was like, where exactly is this? Cause so I, I should probably put a pin in it before someone else says it's in Florida. That's actually, no, that, that's true. Cause I was, cause I <laughs> honestly, that's what I was thinking too. It's, it's on the coast for sure. And people mm -hmm. vacation on the Gulf coast of Texas all the time, like Corpus Christi, Galveston are big vacation spots. So there's no reason why this beautiful city couldn't be sitting right there. I think you got to champion this before like, Hey, the, the next article to come out of like comicbook.com tomorrow, it's going to be blue beetle writer stakes claim, you know, wherever Palmera city is, this is your chance before anybody. Oh my God. It's like the, you know, like Gotham is kind of in New Jersey. Like it's also, you know what I mean? Or kind of Chicago, kind of New yeah. Jersey sometimes. Like, I don't want to do that. Like I want it to be like, this is where Palmera city is. Oh, yeah, so, I think central yeah. city is Chicago. Yeah. Central city is Chicago. There was always like Gotham and Metropolis were like New Jersey, York, New, New York, Jersey, Connecticut area kind of thing. See, I always thought that central city was, uh, like St. Louis, but oh, we can talk about this all day. Because Star City, Seattle, yeah, uh, for sure. Without a I doubt. always thought Metropolis was Toronto for some reason. Yeah, like, Metropolis like, is inspired by Toronto, I think. Well, yeah, it that, just that, it has that vibe to it. But where's Boston City's got to be Philly. Yeah, I would think so. I mean, yeah, it's that's a my hometown. What? Oh, hey, what's up, man? I didn't see hey, that. What, what's, what's going on? Chair force. All right. <laughs> We're just talking all sorts. Yeah. I mean, I can go on this tangent all day, but uh, speaking of Seattle real quick, uh, you're going to be there again this, this weekend. Um, are there any cool, exciting panels you're going to be a part of? Are you bringing the Spanish version of the blue beetle book with you? What do you got in store for this coming weekend? Yeah. So normally I table at the convention. I sell my books or whatever this year. I, I didn't want to last year. Yeah, so I have the I have the day job, so I can't take all the days off for these conventions I want to. But I'll be there Saturday and Sunday, kind of floating around, uh, wearing my my Blue Beetle pin probably, and I'll, I'll have some books I'm not selling. But you know, if you want to talk, uh, you want to see a sneak peek at issue seven, I can definitely show you that because I just got my copies in. Uh, beyond that, I'm going to be an awesome con. That's kind of the a big one I'm doing. That's I'll not see this you next week, weekend. Yeah. yeah, the following weekend in DC. And so uh, I'm thrilled to do that one. I've never done a convention at DC, in DC before, and I don't do a lot of East Coast conventions either. So like well, that's yeah. cool. And I'll be at WonderCon in Anaheim uh, at the end of the month. So I've got a few, and maybe C2E2. I'm still on the fence about it because of some work stuff, but um, I'll, I'll be in the convention scene this year for sure. That's uh, you know, there's a lot of good food there's like a really good taco joint actually kind of where the convention is i've spent some time in dc i live two hours away so i'm going to be there next weekend um we yeah have please to... give me the rex yeah, yeah I, need I'll have to... I gotta look up the name again because it's been a little bit but yeah it's it's so the convention center is pretty much like right behind the white house um by like a block or something like that oh so really i didn't it's, realize it was it's that close. close you'll be able to like if you want to walk over to all the museums the what they do on saturday especially in that area is they always have like food trucks surrounding the smithsonian right there um so there's just god there's 20 plus food trucks all in that area i'm sorry we calling off on a food food across america it's not the food go right ahead. <laughs> um, but i i'm coming up friday because uh we're going to be hosting an mcu panel for the nerd initiative team uh so i'm gonna definitely make sure i, I pop by the booth pay pay my respects to uh the one and only and it's good to have you out on the east coast i hope a lot of people kind of come out and we can do what we can do to get people over there to pick up this book for sure. Yeah. I want to do a lot more. So uh, hopefully I'll be able to make some more East coast conventions and I want to do shows I normally don't do. Uh, I feel like I've been locked into kind of like the same four or five conventions. So let's shake it up. And I want to get the book. I want to do a Texas convention. If you guys, if you guys know anyone in El Paso, I, I, I definitely want to do like, I don't care what it is. I want to do an event there. 
and I'm sure they'll yell at me for kick, for getting Jaime out of El Paso. But it, <laughs> I, I say that, you know, Palmyra City is his metropolis and El Paso is kind of a smallville, even though El Paso is oh, a big city. Yeah. So like El Paso will always be there. And I think there will always be stories to tell there. But like right now, his life is moving him in this direction. Well, first of all, you've been barred from El Paso. As soon as you walk and cross into the lines, they're arresting you. Apparently, uh, that's what I think. I'll check. I'll, I'll check my ID and be like, mm, not this, not this, this one. I know. There's like murals of Blue Beetle in El Paso. Like, there's a lot of pride in the character out there. I didn't. I didn't realize there's uh, murals and stuff. That's cool. See, I had no reason to go to El Paso before, just because I just have no reason. But now I kind of feel like I I want to visit. And not to mention, like, what you get to do is it's like you explained, man. It's Smallville to him but it's always nice to kind of get out and i have left we've all left our hometowns hopefully at one point or another and so that's kind of what this is and especially for somebody who is a college-aged kid finding mm -hmm. himself in this superhero world i've to me it feels like a natural progression that he would leave a place like el paso you know he's got big dreams mm -hmm. he's a part of a world bigger than him there's this entire universe out there yeah it's a big part of growing up right it's like branching out necessarily maybe even if you don't leave the town, but like a new experience, a new environment. And so like when DC is like, oh, you know, Jaime's going to be in a new city in this movie. That's like the only thing they told us. I was like, we're absolutely doing that. Like if I don't introduce it, someone else will. So uh, Adrian just, you know, he ins he's inspired by a lot of like uh, Asian cities like Shanghai or, or Seoul and like those sorts of things. He wanted to bring that like high tech nightlife and kind of contrast that with kind of the down home, like that Latino culture that really influences like South Texas. Yeah. That's awesome. I, I love getting to to see that. And just, again, it shows how much you love the character. Like some people just write characters just, you know, to write the characters, but it's clear that you've done your research. It's clear that there's so much passion and, and love behind this character. Mm -hmm. And, uh, Man, I I would love for you if you just kept writing Blue Beetle forever. Honestly, like let's let's never. Uh, he's, he's my guy. I will write him for. I'll write him forever if Adrian will draw him forever. I think that's that's the rule. Um, I just found out uh, earlier that Adrian loves drawing buildings, and that shocked me because otherwise he we would have a lot more fight scenes in buildings. Uh, <laughs> most <laughs> most artists don't want to draw buildings, cars, planes, yeah. anything that can't move. You know, anything that's kind of static and can't move. Can yeah. It's harder to capture that and so like he's actually he he kills it so uh don't be surprised if every single scene is in front of a skyscraper now we are now fighting from building to building and tear yeah, just exactly. down <laughs> it, That's amazing. i do i do have one kind of off blue beetle topic question because this is sure. important. we, we kind of mentioned this in the beginning i'm going off script ken i'm sorry but okay. uh, one of my all-time favorite cartoons is adventure <laughs> time you kind of got mm -hmm. your start in comic books at adventure time with the announcement that they're bringing the comic books back, is there, is that something you ever want to go back to? Or was that like, Hey, I got my start there. I want to, I want to see what other people do with it. No, I'm not, I'm not like manifesting it, but like, so my, I went from writing a two page comic to writing like 400 pages of adventure time comics. Like basically it was just a funny thing because of scheduling and someone dropped out. So I got my big break and that was the biggest learning experience in my life. Like, having to, I think I wrote three graphic novels in three months. Mm -hmm. So like that was just hard and like yeah. really like trial by fire. I would go back to those characters in a heartbeat, but something that was so cool about the Boom Studios Adventure Time comics was that like, it was a way for a lot of us creators 
to kind of get in the door like Ryan North or or me and like you know we've gone on to do bigger different things so if they want to have me back that's great but if they are like this is a way to break in new talent and give them that opportunity like I totally get it so I'll, I'll be reading either way I mean I will be too they were man I love that show so much do you have a who's who's your favorite character out of Adventure Time Oh, it's tree trunks, like beginning and end. Like that's <laughs> tree trunks is like sassy elephant character that's like elderly. She and she's is also yes. like she's kind of like she's ready to make out with just about anyone she'll get the opportunity to. She's so weird. Like that that character like encapsulates everything I love about Adventure Time. It's like, oh, this is a cute show for kids. Look at that cute elephant. And then she opens her mouth and you're like, oh my god. What is this like, filth? This is, yeah, what is this this filth coming out of this cute character? It is, it is perfectly the way you put that is because my son, when hit, we are my wife and I were big Adventure Time fans, and that's what his room was. But then you, it's right when you sit there and actually watch it, it is like some of like the most just, oh God, did they really just do that? Did they really just say that? And then your, your books were awesome to read because uh, they were coming out around the time I was still getting into comic books. So I really appreciated what you did on that work. And then look at that, you know, follow your dreams. One day you're going to be writing Blue Beetle. Yeah, it's a, it's a huge gift. You know, but it's the gift that, you know, you put in the work and your team definitely reflects it. Like every issue you pick up, it, you know, it just it continues to get better and better. And word of mouth is definitely picking up on it. What would you say is like the final sales pitch? Like we were one week away from issue number seven coming out and then we kick, we kick off the second arc. Like what is your final pitch? Like if you're talking to a brand new reader, why should they pick up this book? Uh, gosh, uh, you know, uh, for in general, you know, Jaime Reyes is the best hero in the DC universe as far as I'm concerned. He's got the biggest heart. He's got the best supporting cast. He might have the biggest supporting cast. Um, but then uh, beyond that, our issue seven is super new reader friendly. If you've never even read a DC comic book before, I say get in there and check out issue seven. You're going to find a character or, or an era or something that you love. And you know, if you if you let, latch on to the Justice International, go go check out the reprints on the app, or you can buy them. And like that's that's kind of my pitch. It's just like this is a great window into what makes the DC Universe so special. And I think we did a really, I hopefully a really good job of like telling a, a great done in one story that builds off of the run. I have no doubt about this. this is going to be a big smash hit at the comic shops and wherever you're checking this episode out, whether it's podcast form or on YouTube, trust me. And I can speak for everybody here in the bullpen. If you're not picking up blue beetle, you're truly missing out on one of the best superhero books on the block bar none from the writing to the art, to the coloring, to the lettering. Like this is the total package book that you can give to a new reader and have them hooked on comics. It is modern storytelling with a vintage feel, but yet it feels so next level and forward thinking too. There is nothing, like I say, there's nothing like this on the market. And if you really want to make sure you're getting some bang for your buck, definitely make sure you go and pick up everything of this run. Six issues right now. Issue number seven drops March 5th at the comic shops. And definitely just make sure it's a staple in your pull list. And Josh, thank you so much for coming on the show. We definitely have to talk to you after the book comes out. No, thank you guys for having me. I know you guys have always been supportive of the book and like at Adrian and I, and like we, we take, we notice, you know, we know who's, who's liking those posts. Uh, and so like, yeah, thank you for everyone. And thank you for all the Blue Beetle fans. You know, we started doing this with like a 10 page short, basically in the round robin competition. We didn't, we didn't win. So we thought that was the end of our Blue Beetle time. It's gone on to be a mini series and now an ongoing series. And, you know, soon we're going to take over the world. 
That's right. Next step is the world, honestly, and I see it happening. He's just reaching out for it. Definitely. Manifesting, <laughs> man. We're manifesting. We're, we're, we're talking out to existence, so it's going to happen. It's so. on the horizon. Ooh. <laughs> I like how you played that, Tom. I'll be here all week. All right, so before we get out of here, Matt, Lauren, why don't you tell everybody how to find out what's going on with you and Hops Geeks News? Yes, so we have a big week coming up uh, over on the podcast as tomorrow we're going to be sitting down with the duo from the Enfield Gang Massacre to talk about the trade that's coming out. Jacob and uh, Chris, they're coming through. And then Thursday, Ryan, Kenny, and Tyrell are coming through to talk schlub. So those are those trades are getting ready to come out. So uh, easiest way is scan the, the QR code there. You'll find all of our written reviews. You'll find all of our podcasts, all that glorious stuff. And then there's one more book. That I'm going to plug that you guys also need to check out from Josh. It's uh, Washington's Gay General. Yes, yeah, it was right. one of the best like graphic novels. I, I'm on. I like. I always loved history, so good. and I like this. I, there was things that I didn't even know that I learned so much from. Uh, so, guys, please, what Levi and Josh do in this book, I would implore you to also pick that one up. Do so. I'm I'm commanding. Yeah, thank you. And it's funny too. I didn't expect that. It's educational. It's funny. And it's you guys even get like emotional it's a, it's awesome too, read. like with your own story. And mm -hmm. that's that's a whole other episode. But thank you guys for making that book. And, I can't recommend uh, that. Yeah, that's where yeah. you can find us. All right, Tom. Uh, you'll find me here every single Tuesday. But if I'm in San Antonio, I'm going to be a raised drive-in or the original home of the Puffy Taco. Absolutely. <laughs> Aside from yeah. that, you can check me out over here at Off the Cuff Tom. Check out that QR code. And uh, yeah, just keep an eye out tomorrow. We've got all those reviews coming up on nerdinitiative.com. Yes. Uh, speaking of nerdinitiative.com, that's where you can find the team and myself for the ODPH podcast. We are always there at nerdinitiative.com, especially on Wednesdays and Tuesdays for New Comic Book Day. And a little spoiler alert, we will be kicking off our New Comic Book Day coverage with the review of Blue Beetle number seven next week. So definitely keep an eye out for that 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. So that's why you got to make sure that you are subscribed to everything going on with Nerd Initiative so you don't miss a minute of the content of the home of pop culture positivity. And before we get out of here, there's one little homework assignment that we have to do, and that is to make sure that you hit the subscribe button on the YouTube link, click the bell icon for notifications, and make sure to tap that Thumbs up to make sure the bosses here at Nerd Initiative know that you like the content you're seeing and you want to see more of it. So once again, thank you to my team for coming through. Thanks again to Josh Hill to come through to talk Blue Beetle. And definitely make sure you follow him. We have his links in on the social medias right in the liner notes of this episode. And make sure, more importantly, too, get out to the comic shops. Go get the runs of Blue Beetle and Blue Beetle Graduation Day. Both are excellent pickups that you can definitely get. And Blue Beetle number seven next week, March 5th, at the comic shops. So we like we ended always, when you're at the comic shops and you have a great issue in your hands, such as Blue Beetle number seven, and you see somebody struggling to find something, hand yours off to them. Tell them to turn a page. We'll see you next week.